Hello and welcome to Impressions of America. I'm Simon, and with me as always are Toby and Vaughn. Hi guys. Hey Simon. Hey Simon. I'm delighted to say that we're back and podcasting again. And guys, I've missed you both, and I've especially missed all the shit talking we do together. So it's it's a lovely, joyous <laughs> moment to be to be back with you. Um, since our last episodes, <laughs> a lot of things have happened in America. Uh, most notably, the Supreme Court decision to overturn abortion rights and striking down Roe v. Wade. Uh, this continued trend of America being just a fucking shit show and uh, everyone paying the price for Republicans being evil and Democrats uh, being uncaring and incompetent has kind of led to today's episode. Um, so we're going with uh, a second round of uh, halls of fame, so on, on the liberal and the conservative side. Um, you might remember that last year we did an episode on this and um, kind of what inspired that is that uh, Rush Limbaugh and the NRA were inducted into a Conservative Hall of Fame and it got us thinking, hmm, I wonder who else would go into that um, Conservative Hall of Fame and I wonder who would get into a Liberal Hall of Fame. Uh, so we made some picks of our own last time and our Conservative choices were William F. Buckley, Joseph McCarthy and Roger Ailes. And then our Liberal choices were... Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Nelson Rockefeller, and John McCain, because we think of those. <laughs> um, before we move on, uh, what do we think of those previous choices, guys? No, I think they're bag on. Yeah, I've never yeah, done anything wrong it. before, and I think <laughs> sure, Toby, carries <laughs> on my uh, mistakes, <laughs> on my pattern. Yeah. Uh, I Von, love Von, that you're... John McCain is in there. Absolutely. Sorry, I was going to say, Vaughn, your, your thoughts both on the Liberal Hall of Fame and just Toby's continued streak of never making a mistake? Oh, I mean, spot on 100% across the board. Like, <laughs> Toby Toby is the reason for all of the good things in my life. <laughs> I know this. And that is actually true. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> yeah. Um, like a yeah, barnacle so it, or something. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> You are, you are all powerful, Toby. Yeah, some interesting choices. Um, the on the the conservative side, um, it was kind of a, a mix of different characters. Uh, but on the liberal side, I think it really hit home just what we think of liberals and the fact that Toby was actually the sensible voice in all this by picking Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Although he apparently, from what I remember, he did consider pick, picking Richard Nixon. And if he <laughs> if, if he had done that, we would have picked Richard Nixon. Nelson, you know, I, I picked John to I pitched to a different podcast for a long time, been trying to get them to do it, uh, which was uh, Nixon the Liberal. Yeah, that was. Uh, <laughs> oh God. Yeah, there's some really good articles I've written about it, and I've collated and templated all of them. Uh, so yeah. 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 <laughs> you mean founder of the EPA, champion of Mother Earth, Richard Nixon? Yes, absolutely. Oh my God. <laughs> oh my God. The the Supreme Court just fucking gutted that too. So yeah, they did. Yeah. Fucking. I mean, it, I was going to make a joke and say it's one thing picking on women, but it's another thing picking on Nixon. But um, yeah. we'll, we'll probably move on from that. Uh, <laughs> now, as, <laughs> as we stated at the top of the, the last uh, Halls of Fame episode, uh, we weren't going to include Ronald Reagan in that purely because it was too obvious. However, thinking about it a little bit more, I'm thinking we should actually induct him into both the Liberal and Conservative Halls of Fame 
purely because every president that's followed him has basically just been a variation on Ronald Reagan, and he's just been kind of continuously president ever since. So, are we yes. kind of happy happy enough with that? No, absolutely. Yeah, he's he's but well, he is more definitely more on the conservative form of fame than the liberal of fame. But yeah, no, he's he definitely has a a place in a in the hall of fame. Definitely, absolutely. Okay, before we get into our our, our picks for today, um. I wanted to kind of open up a question for you both, and that's the inter- your own interpretation of these labels, liberal and conservative, and just how your interpretation and, and viewpoint of those labels have evolved over the past few years as you, as you become more involved in politics and more engaged with modern American history. Vaughn, do you want to start us off um, about your, your thoughts on that? Yeah, sure. Um, so as I've said before on this podcast, I wasn't really... Um, politically minded when I was younger. I I really only started getting involved with politics when I was a senior in college. Um, So around like 21 years old. So it's been about seven-ish years um, of just learning more about politics and getting more into political history through my work and also this podcast and really kind of padding out my knowledge of the 20th century and 21st centuries. Um, so I'll take conservative first. Um, I have a lot of respect for post-war conservative ideology in that there was actually an ideology and there was philosophy behind it. And I've really come to respect the fact that it exists. I'm, I don't align with it politically at all. But the further we get away from it and the more we get into what modern conservatism is, I do mm-hmm. have some respect for it. And um, especially the kind that like Richard Hofstadter wrote about in 55 and all of that kind of cohort of American intellectual historians. Um, and intellectuals that being said conservatives are fucking insane now and it's really poisoned the idea of conservatism at all like this this kind of shift into social conservatism from the late 70s onwards again thanks reagan it (laughs) has just bred such an insidious, horrible kind of nationalist ideology that I cannot separate from just the term conservative now because so many conservatives and Republicans are wrapped up with the social conservatism that is just eroding our society in my own personal views. Um, And again, that's something we've talked about a hell of a lot here, but conservative to me has just become a very uncomfortable word, um, especially in US politics and in UK politics, the more I learn about whatever the fuck's happening here Um, and around the world. I think think we need to get over conservatism. What are we conserving at this point? What is... What is the point of tradition when everything is so dramatically different 
in the modern world, we've had technological changes like a hundred times over in my lifetime alone. And I'm only 27 and we've had massive shifts in demographics and populations and sizes of populations and medical advancements and medical detractors and pandemics and like everything's so fucking different. So get over yourself with your traditionalism and your like small scope government policy when we live in a fucking modern global world. I'm going on a whole rant right now. We haven't done a we haven't recorded a podcast in a while. And it's really flowing out right now. So I will I'll cut it off. But conservative to me is like a dirty word, as is liberal because liberals are just conservatives to me. Liberals are like post-war conservatives with an ideology that I have some respect for. And modern conservatives are social conservative psychopaths. Neither of them are actually leftist in the States. That's my answer. Yeah, I'd kind of say that there's an easy answer is that conservatives are conservatives and liberals are conservatives who hate themselves. Um, mm-hmm. That's kind of my summary. Uh, Toby, your your thoughts on the two terms? Uh, well, you know, I think unlike Vaughan, my American history knowledge doesn't go as far back as the 18th century. So mine tends to be the Civil War and then into the post-Reconstruction periods. And I think I, I'll, I'll start with, um, with liberals first, because I, I think I... I think I do understand uh, to some extent American liberals. I think it, from you know f- from my reading, the liberalism that sort of emerges in the in the progressive era, a lot of it was to do with like you know the the, the betterment of society by mm-hmm. uh, essentially elites, uh, professional managerial elites who saw, at least you know in in that period, uh, not before, but who saw what industrialization had done and uh, felt that the the benefits of industrialization were split unequally and felt that they had to increase government um, government agencies. Um, Theodore Roosevelt increased a lot of government agencies, uh, FDR did, and, and then actually have an influence over the way uh, the economy works not only that but you know it's so like improving people's life was like services and and to be honest like they were never they were never marxists they didn't ever believe that the, the economy had to completely change and they mm-hmm. and 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 many of them uh loved and wanted to preserve america i mean there's the there's the idea by Her- herbert corley of um trying to achieve um uh, Jeffersonian ends uh, by Ham- Hamiltonian means, right? The the, the a bigger government um, in order to try to help people to uh, live by themselves, free and in in in, in independent. Um, these were never they were never leftists by by any degree, but they did have, I think, um, some. They did bring some benefits to to people. Um, if, you know, in the progressive era, and then in the 1930s with uh, FDR and his uh, agencies, and and um, the the bringing things like social security, and uh, yeah, and and I think um, I think that, and I don't think the, and I think the liberals changed a little bit 
after the Reagan revolution, they became a little bit less, um, they became a little bit less paternalistic, I think. Uh, they, they seemed to feel like the Reagan revolution was a confirmation of, of uh, what Americans wanted and where they were going. And, you know, then they, they started to associate a lot with like, uh, like lower middle class people who wanted a little bit less government. I think that's, um, that's where Biden and Nancy Pelosi and Harry Reid really come from. And yeah, so I, yeah, I think like they, they are sort of elites who want to um, improve society a little bit. And uh, they're not, definitely not leftists. I think conservatives, for me, are like Vaughn says, they're just people want, who want to preserve how things are, but for, for themselves, you know, like things are fine for me, mm-hmm. working for me. And uh, I just, uh, you know, I want things to say, stay the same. I don't see why. I mean, you, you even get it. it was, you know, just like housing, for example, like people who don't want the, their environment and the communities to change and like new houses to, to, to come in in order to help maybe younger people. It's, it's always like, you know, and older people tend to be more conservative and all this. But I think in the American context, it's like it's much more. I think it's much more extreme. It's much more extreme it's there's there's a lot of more conspiracy theories um things like the john birch society uh q um many people associated with the trump administration i think they a lot of you know like um a lot of them feel that if something is if 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 someone is doing something that they don't feel is meets their expectations like they think things are good and the world shouldn't change, then that person is like an alien or like a snake or a lizard. And, uh, and, and, and I think actually, I, I agree with Vaughan in the sense that post-war conservatism was actually a, an ideology that was put together, you know, around libertarian values, but with some added Christianity into it that started to grow. But I don't, but I think that's like, I think that's like one time in American life when that was true, because I think before that, I think like if you read a lot of like arguments made, you know, by the Taft, uh, Taft Supreme Court against, um, against like the governments uh, in the 1910s, they're, they're, a lot of it is just like, we don't want anything to, ch- anything to change. Um, you, you know, it's like, I, I would, I, I, yeah, I, I think, and the same thing with um, conservatives who pushed against FDR. I do think like post-war conservatism for a little bit for like was like an intellectual movement, but it, I don't think it ever had because I start with I start with liberals. I do think like liberal liberalism in the American context, um, in the specifically in the American context, because the word changes a lot when you go to Europe, and I think like liberals actually become like libertarians in your in Europe, but in the American context, it's associated with like busybody elites who want to like improve things a little bit because they don't they think sometimes people aren't getting the the true American experience that they have, but and 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 those people have always been like highly educated and. Um, in that way but conservatives haven't always been i think william f buckley for a particular time made it into something but i think the true conservatism actually looks a lot like 
um, you know, like what Richard Hofstadter describes in, in, in other works, you know, this is this conspiracy view of history. And then the Trump administration uh, as well. Yeah. Yeah. So those, those, that's, those are my views of um, conservatism and, and liberalism specifically in America and specifically like post post civil war, I think. Mm-hmm. I think that, for my, oh, sorry, sorry, Simon, real quick. That um, other Hofstetter piece, the pseudo conservative revolt, I think is what you're talking about. That's one of my favorite pieces um, in American intellectual history because it's it's just fascinating. It's from 1955, and it's about <clears throat> the kind of conspiratorial side of conservative conservatism that can lead you into this really dangerous kind of populism. Um, mm-hmm. And especially reading it now after Trump and the last 50 years since Reagan and everything, it really, it's really, really spot on. Um, But it's from 1955. So yes, I agree with you, Toby, for sure. Yeah, and also uh, Hofstadter's essay, The the Paranoid Style of Politics as well. Um, From my own perspective, I, I guess growing up in the UK, I suppose hearing the word conservative and just kind of being immediately told how terrible it is um, and how we should be sort of rallying against it just kind of immediately places you in a position when you think when you're younger and you hear American conservatism, you go, okay, well, that's sort of the bad side. And you maybe don't take on as much of the political ideology as it, as it were. Not Maybe there wasn't much in the 90s by the time uh, I got around to it. Um, so I, I guess from my own perspective, it's always been kind of clouded um, from a personal point of view, the word conservatism, purely because I'm just kind of immediately placed in that position where, okay, in, in the UK, you know, you're fighting against it in order to, you know, have better representation of people's rights or to, you know, you know not have the, <laughs> the rich kind of, get away with tax cuts or, or whatever it is. So immediately when you find out about sort of American history when you're younger and you find out about them, you know, fighting against civil rights or, you know, whatever the case is, um, you know, fighting against gay marriage was a big thing when it's sort of 2000 election when I was still quite young. So you see these things and you kind of immediately go, okay, well, the other side must be pretty good then. And then you, you sort of hear things about, you know, civil rights movement and, I guess it's only as you get older, you start to understand the nuance that's involved in terms like conservative and liberal. And you try to also try and place historical sort of relevance as to what's sort of happening at the time and who might qualify themselves or be qualified by other people in these terms. And I guess I'm just kind of hard now to think of a conservative conservatism with genuine ideology beyond sort of right-wing like really far right-wing um judo-christianism sort of rhetoric and sort of tucker carlson and birth rates and all this kind of stuff that now is left nothing behind of any intelligence and is is purely Mm. dog whistling and and so it's it's to think back when we're talking about 
post-war conservatives having some ideology, even if you don't agree with it, is just kind of so foreign from where we've been. You know, when I when I was growing up, you know, by the time I was starting to get political, it was, you know, George Bush and the Iraq war and, you know, torture and, you know, fighting against gay marriage. And you're kind of just immediately placed, okay, that's really bad. And then you follow that up with sort of the racism against Obama and then, you know, whatever the hell has happened with Trump. And so it's kind of hard to to kind of fully factor in what they are conserving apart from sort of white power, essentially. Um, on the and then yeah, and it's also like they, they I don't know, someone said this. It was like a, a and I was an Irish writer. I was listening to a podcast. It's like a lot of people today in the conservative movement just have less to conserve. It's not like back mm-hmm. in the day, you know, they were conserving 18th century paintings, and you know they 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 smoked pipes, and they lived. They they liked the country and. They, they like old things, you know, there's a whole aesthetic and preservation society, like, you know, like local preservation mm-hmm. societies and all this stuff. Right. But today it's like, you know, like the people who are conservative aren't the same. They might be the same people sociologically, but they just don't have the same instincts. and They're not really preserving anything, just like preserving like, like a lot yeah. of stupidity. It's like. <laughs> Absolutely. And especially as like the financial realm within America has changed so much, you know, with the middle class decreasing and the increase in billionaires and so the the, the, the removal of wealth from sort of normal people to the ultra rich. It's like, well, you people, you know, you, you see these, these Trump supporters who are just so angry about everything and how they, they feel like they, they've missed out on, on certain parts of life. And, you know, so, so many of them are, are poor or, um, I mean, some of them are, and some of them are actually wealthy enough. That you, but specifically on the sort of the poor, poor side, you have Trump supporters who are just engaging with rhetoric that they don't really understand, and they're trying to support people who do not give a shit about them. You know, Donald Trump does not care about poor people. And some but... of them aren't poor, but they're all dumb. Like, yeah. remember the, the <laughs> January 6th thing when, you know, the people yeah. were running it? Like, this whole thing, conservatism, right? started with like Edmund Burke, right? And he's reacting to the French Revolution. Uh, you know, he's, he's talking about, you know, um, there's no one there to, to help Marie Antoinette. There's, where's chivalry gone? Where's all, mm-hmm. where's hierarchy and, you know, conservatism and, and the slow, slow, because, you know, at least he was like, we like the English Revolution and the slow growth and all this. Like, these people aren't like that. Like they, yeah. this is an institution. They're having an election been happening for 200 years and they go and attack the place where the election's being certified that's not conservative they're not they're not conservative in any, in, in any way so because i was just not isn't a thing like it's the, like and they're not all poor these guys weren't all poor some of them are poor some of them have mm-hmm. a lot in their lives some of them are, are, are you know of moderate income but this they seem to have nothing that they want to preserve but they're all fucking stupid <laughs> I, I just don't. I don't know. It's like it, it's it's upsetting actually. To, to yeah. What 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 would William F. Buckley think of these people? You I don't know. know. He would certainly he wouldn't have supported them. No, and I got prob- I got other kinds of problems with William F. Buckley, but it's like there's no way. Like George Will is still alive, right? He's still wearing the spectacles. He's still a cunt, right? But. <laughs> 
But he's he looked at that thing, that spectacle on January the 6th and thought, this is awful. And there are some liberals or left-wing people, right, who were like, oh, this isn't a big deal. It doesn't matter. And part of the reason why is some kinds of left-wing people are radicals and they are like um, non-conventionists and things like that. But from conservatives, conservatives mm-hmm. actually supporting this thing, like what what is actually happening here? Rioting? They they always talk about how it's all the left is always rioting, and mm-hmm. you know what they actually attempted to do? It's like it's one of the most treasonous things that has happened in in all of American history, and they're just putting it under the rug as if it was and and it isn't. It's one of the least conservative things ever. And if they should really be looking at themselves right now, like, where are we? Where is our, like, we had uh, Peter Robinson on on here and, and, he, and, you know, he talked to you and he still said he supported Trump and all this, but he did feel like that movement that he was part of uh, is gone. But like, they really need to look at themselves. Really? Because it's not, a, it just isn't, there isn't anything there. And conservatism has always been like a box of like, weird differing <laughs> things you know like libertarian on some things and then traditional yeah. on, on completely uh, other things and and that's fine and liberalism has a little bit of that but less so but still it's just nothing it's i, I, I don't know I'm, yeah I, I, the only one argument i have against you there toby is that i think it's it's every american's right to try and kill mike pence that that's the that, <laughs> <laughs> i think regardless of your political affiliation yeah i, think I mean if you have the chance exactly yeah, yeah absolutely they, they, oh. they, they, were, they were shooting their shots of uh, killing exactly. mike pence. and i, I, I respect it yeah exactly. <laughs> this, is, this is my favorite version of toby <laughs> that's one of my favorite toby rants of all time I, I was, sh- I I was shouting Vaughn. Uh, you were, you were. Yeah, it sounded it. I was here like hand over heart, like my God. Um, <laughs> I I will say though that conservatives are dumb by design because mm-hmm. they've gutted, absolutely gutted education over the last yeah. 50 years, uh, 60 years. And at every level from like pre-K through university. And that was by design to keep conservatives dumb and to reroute all of the education into quote unquote patriotic um, studies and anything that doesn't challenge the US too hard or Americans too hard. So like, I feel really bad for this generation of conservatives because they are dumb and they are acting out and they are doing all of these things and, like, committing one of the most treasonous acts in all of American history. And it's almost not on them because we've fucked them up so badly mm-hmm. by design. And it just, it's, it really does make me sad as well. It's It's a heartbreaking thing. And, like... I mean, yeah, a lot of like every liberal that also went or leftist that also went to public school came away with different ideologies from that same education. But that's not guaranteed to everyone. Um, Your thinking patterns and your like experiences outside of school will be different depending on your circumstances and, and place in the country. But it is 
it is just really heartbreaking that we've failed so many people on critical thinking skills or basic government and civic kind of education uh, to be able to understand the politics of what they're doing and to understand why the capital is not somewhere you should charge in and try and murder the vice president. That should be at like a steakhouse. Yeah, you know? Chuck E. Cheese. Again. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, it just it it really it's really fucking sad that we have done this to so many people by design. Oh, absolutely. So I agree, but like again, fuck the whole country and fuck every liberal because they're all uh, Reagan in different shades. Agreed. At the top. I said at the top. I'd just like to state that if there are any are conservative, if any conservatives that are listening to the show and feel that this is unbalanced, I'd like to remind everybody that we do have a registered Republican working on the show. So it's very, very <laughs> even. And we, we, we will, we will bring you on the show as well because we have loads of conservatives on the show. So. We do, we do have loads of conservatives, and like this does feel very imbalanced, but it's also a conversation that we need to be fucking having, and yeah. that's a really real thing, Simon. I used to be a registered Republican until a couple years ago, like when I was eighteen, I registered Republican, and it's not something I'm particularly proud of, but at the time, that was the only party that I knew anything about, and as mm-hmm. I said earlier, again, at the top of this, that I really wasn't politically minded until I was like 21 or so. So, And I also abstained from voting in the election when I was 18 because I didn't know anything about either candidate and it didn't feel right for me to vote. Um, and yes, that was 2012, and yes, that was when Mitt Romney was running, <laughs> and I regret it every day. But... Um, it, one chance to vote for Mitt. My my one chance. Come on, Mitt. Bare minimum, Mitt. Um, no, but like, I went through public school my whole life, and I grew up just outside of Philadelphia, and the party that I knew the most about was the Republicans. Mm-hmm. And that's something that we need to be talking about. That like. I was a conservatively minded teenager because that's what I learned in school and I didn't have anything to challenge me outside of that. And yes, I am a white woman, so I didn't have other kind of challenges to my political ideology and I wasn't confronted to have a political ideology when I was 18. So the one that I aligned with when I had to register to vote was Republicans and that's problematic. That that's the takeaway I took from public school in a liberal district. My county almost always votes blue. So it's just, it all goes together. So if you're a conservative listening to this, I was one of you. <laughs> and now I'm very much not. Um, and also I was a strategic voter after that because in Pennsylvania, you can only vote in the primary party that you are affiliated with. So... I used my Republican status, which is also not how democracy works, okay? That doesn't make any fucking sense, but whatever. That's where just, we're at now. I would just like to state how jealous Toby and I are of you for being able to vote in Republican primaries. That's the absolute dream oh, yeah. for me and, me and Toby. You know who I voted for in 2016? <laughs> I don't know if I've ever told you this. Did I tell you guys? No. I voted for John Kasich. Oh, wow. Wow. There, huh. That's yeah. a yeah, really... That's not- Really he was like choice. he was the most liberal option, and you know what the the best part of that is? 
he had already dropped out of the race before I went to vote in the primary, but he was still on the ballot in Pennsylvania. So I threw my vote away essentially just to not vote for Trump or Ted Cruz or any of the other fuckers that were running. Is there yeah, a like just he was like Republican a fake player in the in that race, I think. He was a safe player. And honestly, yeah. if I had to vote in another Republican primary, I would vote for John Kasich again if he was running, because he he was a, a very liberal Republican, even for 2016, before everything got this fucking insane. Um, now he's like fucking Bernie Sanders, essentially, to the Republicans. <laughs> um, but yeah, John John Kasich. I think he's an he's an all right choice if you have to. I can't believe I started a segment that was going to be a quick two minute thing just to get us going on liberal conservatives, and we finished it by being a John Kasich promotion tour. That is. (laughs) I mean, I don't I don't support John Kasich. (laughs) Like, like I'm not out here like campaigning for John Kasich. uh, John Kasich, the Lincoln Project, um, yeah, other sort of soft right wing. um, She's got. We should really, yeah, you you know, if you're. If you're trying to get over Trump and if you if you want to see the light, uh, the yes. Bulwark podcast uh, as well. Uh, <laughs> yes. Uh, right wing. Uh, we want more, more, uh, yeah, more center right people. Romney and, as well. I mean, we've, we've, we've always <laughs> talked about the, the, the great greatness of um, our boy. We have. Oh yes, uh, absolutely. Could Can you, you imagine those two on a ticket together? The Kasich Romney 2024. Oh, ticket? my God. That would be the most like white milk <laughs> thing i've ever seen well we're throwing our weight behind that so um yes yeah, so look forward to us talking more about that in the course of the next Spice their food with water <laughs> right okay let's actually move on to the uh, main topic of today's show shall we um right. so <laughs> you can tell we've not been together in a while because we've just spent 10 minutes talking about john casey um <laughs> <laughs> right Halls, halls of Fame. Shall we start with Conservative Hall of Fame and then move on to Liberals afterwards? Does that work for you guys? Yeah, that's fine. Cool. Okay. Um, Toby, Vaughn, who, who would like to go first? Toby, do you want to kick us off with your Conservative Hall of Fame choice? Yeah, well, I'll say that I've, I've gone for more obscure choices this time. And, oh, and really, great. Really in uh, reaction to the abortion mm-hmm. uh, situation in mm. the and the Supreme Court, and it's just tries to try, you know, look at the Supreme Court. I've uh, this time gone for uh, just uh, he, he was a judge in the appeals courts. Uh, he worked for the Nixon administration. Um, he was a solicitor general uh, in the Nixon administration. I've gone for Robert Bork. Okay. And, uh, okay. and the, re- the reason I, I have is because I can't go for Mitch McConnell because he's still alive. The, that bastard, <laughs> yes, you know. Yeah. There's always this thing about um, when Lyndon Johnson died. You know, they considered him as one of the great senators with Clay and Calhoun, both you know uh, supported slavery and all this. But uh, but that, that, I guess that's the quality of uh, American uh, political elite. But but uh, Robert Bork, I think is I think is more important than Anton Scalia. Mm-hmm. As as a conservative Hall of Fame person, because I think he has had more influence on the the Federalist Society, the people who who actually ran the who run the Federalist Society currently, uh, got a couple guys. Um, one of them clerked for uh, Robert Bork, and the Federalist Society is the reason why you have Amy Coney Barrett, Gorsuch, Kavanaugh, 
on the courts. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they've had a campaign uh, now for, you know, going 20, 20 30 years to really uh, change the courts. And, um, and yeah, Robert Bork, the reason I, I picked him most importantly is his originalist perspective. Mm-hmm. So he was a big booster. And, and I think originalism, uh, as it existed, it's always sort of existed, you know, conservatives have always tried to say, well, the text exists as it did in the late 18th century, and you can't go out and make up rights that people have. Or, as Robert Bork says, um, it's either you interpret the Constitution based on exactly what it's saying, it's not a living document, it's, it, it should be originally considered, or you interpret the Constitution's context from the time when it was first interpreted by people. So it's, so either it's the document itself or the late 18th century uh, perspective on it. And, uh, and, and Robert Bork actually, um, you know, he was a, in the appeals uh, circuit judge. Um, uh, one interesting anecdote about him was uh, he was actually, um, he worked for Richard Nixon. He was Solicitor General during the Saturday um, massacre, uh, Saturday Night Massacre in, um, in 1974. Um, the, there was the, um, the, the idea that Nixon wanted to fire some of uh, his uh, Chief Justice um, at the time. And uh, two uh, Nixon appointees quit um, it was not to appoint, uh, not to fire um, the, the, the Attorney General um, at the time, uh, but Robert Bork stepped, stepped up and fired um, uh, Archibald Cox uh, at, because he was a Nixon. They were just like, uh, he was a staunch conservative and he, he supports uh, um, Nixon in that. And he also written actually significantly that the, the uh, president has the right to um to control all appointees within the federal government and so that because of that he ha- he absolutely had the right to fire uh, Archibald Cox uh, at that at that time um and Robert Bork then uh, he, he was uh, an appeals court, circuit court judge with Antonin Scalia Antonin Scalia a very conservative justice gets picked up by Ronald Reagan and Ronald Reagan brings him in. There isn't that much of a dispute about mm-hmm. uh, Scalia at the time, even though he was very, very conservative. Uh, Sandra Day O'Connor was considered quite conservative, another conservative pick, but she didn't turn out to be so conservative. But Anthony Scalia was very conservative. And then they were going to pick Bork because Bork had come up with this uh, originalist perspective um, it, it was, in fact, the, the guiding judicial philosophy of the Reagan administration. He was the, the fountainhead of this. They wanted to him, actually have him on the Supreme Court and uh, they brought him in and it was a complete uh, attack by the Democrats. The Democrats actually showed up. They, they you know, they, they talked about the Saturday Night Massacre. They said, well, 
you know, uh, why, why did you do this? Why did you follow Richard Nixon? They said things like, you know, Robert Bork doesn't support Roe versus Wade. If, if, if he comes in, that's going to be uh, pulled apart. You know, he's, he's, he's uh, brought up um, the, a, a vast amount of criticism of the war in court and war in court decisions, and they really pushed against him. And it was actually the first time, really, uh, in a long time, that the selection of uh, Supreme Court justices at the Senate level was becoming heavily politicized. And he lost uh, by uh, 58 to 42. And it's, it's quite different because, you know, Clarence Thomas actually had a rape allegation and, and Brett Kavanaugh had a rape allegation. Rob Bork didn't have any, you know, like spotty private things within his life. But the Democrats, uh, Ted Kennedy, Joe Biden as well, Joe Biden, who was actually running for president at the time, pushed back uh, against Robert Bork being on the, the Supreme Court. And, um, and, and, but Mitch McConnell was there at the time. Uh, you know, he was a young uh, c- congressman. And he made a speech saying that um, we will come back at you. We will. It doesn't matter, um, you know, who the president is. Once we f- we we are ideologically against the 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 person that you pick, we are going to hit you very very hard. You know this is at the time you know he was a little bit obscure, but obviously that that come into fruition in a in a quite um, in quite a, a dark way. But yes, uh, so Robert Bork, bit bit of an ob- obscure pick really, but. I think he's he's really important because I think if you look at the Supreme Court justices um, in the period after the, the Burger Court and the legal conservative movement as a whole, uh, you know, uh, McConnell isn't really available. Uh, the, the leaders of the Federalist Society aren't really available because all of those people are still alive. But Robert Bork, um, he was really the fountainhead for this originalist uh, interpretation um, you know, the idea of the intention of the original author must govern the meaning of the text. Um, uh, sec- you know, the intent preferred there should be strong historical evidence that the intention of framers was that intention and should bind uh, future generations. Um, the framers' original intent indicates either, uh, the, you know, the framers' original intent uh, should be the determining um, purpose of the documents and um, yeah so these kinds of originalist interpretations uh, which are different um, from say du- ideas of judicial restraint um, which which actually used to be the dominant uh, theory for conservative justices um, before um, the this ideas of judicial restraint which is like even if the even if the, there is a a way to reach a particular, uh, conclusion within the constitution, but justices should restrain themselves. That was always the uh, argument made by um, Warren Berger against the the uh, Warren Court of the 1950s, you know, Brown v. Board of Education, all, all this. But uh, Robert Bork went beyond that. So, he, so there was on specific cases he he had a different opinion to to Berger and to other conservatives, but his originalist. Uh, way of thinking is the way that Antonin Scalia uh, went about his judicial um, opinions. It's the way 
uh, Justice Alito has gone, and it's certainly very influential for Clarence Thomas. And Clarence Thomas, just after this um, Roe versus Wade um, reversal, has said that you know they're coming for other things that are not uh, in the Fourth Fourteenth uh, Amendment. Um, there, there's other cases, the the same sex marriage case, and and other cases that could be on the chopping block. And he has this opinion because his methodology is originalism. Well, he has the opinion because obviously he's a conservative and wants people to be miserable, but this is the <laughs> methodology that they use and it, and it comes from Robert Bork. So I'm putting Robert Bork in uh, before I'm putting Anton Lynn Scalia. It would have been McConnell, definitely, but uh, he's not dead yet. Uh, yeah. I'm a bit pre. McConnell um, is the curator of the Hall of Fame. <laughs> Such a good observation. Yes, uh, Toby, excellent choice. Um, couple, just a very couple of quick things for me. One, as I say, excellent choice. You know, anytime you hear the word originalist, you just want to run the other way. Um, mm. the, you know, <laughs> the, the man fought against, you know, civil rights and that kind of stuff. And you go, yeah, cool. Yeah, conservative Hall of Fame for you. Also, just very quickly and very importantly, he twice endorsed Mitt Romney for president. So he absolutely belongs in the conservative Hall of Fame. So um, <laughs> good, good job, Mr. Bork. And uh, also, uh, Bork has actually become a verb as well, which I think is kind of cool. Um, which, uh, yes, uh, we're going to Bork him. We're going to kill him politically. So there you go. On any any thoughts on Mr. Bork? Yeah, no, that's such an excellent pick, Toby. I'm. I really, really like that you chose that. Um, on originalism, just very quickly and quickly and tangentially because we've been hearing it so much recently with all of these SCOTUS decisions Um, originalism is bullshit and it's not actually rooted in any historical methodology and it's all all rooted in bad history by which I mean poorly done historical analysis and research so if anyone uses the term originalism know that from a historian's standpoint it doesn't mean shit. And it's just a way of saying, well, the founding fathers wouldn't like this, even though like, fuck the founding fathers because they were horrible people just up and down the moral scale. So originalism is, is just a, a terrible, terrible ideology and a poor excuse for historical methodology. Do not ever, ever take someone seriously if they say they're an originalist. Yeah, Washington's uh, slaves were, were running towards the English um, because they thought the English would, would free them. So the originalism, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, if you want to it's preserve a- certain things, you can, I suppose. <laughs> Which some people evidently do, and it's wild that Clarence Thomas is one of them. <laughs> but yeah, great pick, Toby. It was yeah, really good. Uh, great. You're, you're just on a roll today, Toby. Just on Cla- Clarence Thomas. Um, the 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 interracial um, loving. marriage case is loving v Virginia, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. But uh, that that doesn't. Um, there's no vulnerability with the Fourteenth Amendment and private privacy on that. So uh, he he's done he's done his work his research. Uh, yeah, uh, in the cases that he wants to to get rid of, um, it's not going to affect his 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 life at all. Isn't Mitch McConnell also in an interracial marriage? Yeah, he is. He is. is, is yes. he was an Asian. 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 Yeah. 
She was in the Trump administration, wasn't she? Yeah, she was. I think she was like transport secretary or something. But um, or she was in Treasury. Something with a T. Anyway, uh, yeah, pretty fucked up of both of them, isn't it? Great. Um, right. Um, Vaughn, do you want to go next or do you want me to go next? Whichever you prefer. Um, you go next because I don't want to follow Toby's. Agreed. That is, um, well, thank you for that and go fuck yourself. Um, the, 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 I've decided to take a different approach to this. And whereas Toby, like with all things, is you know, steeped in history and deep thought, I've gone the other way and I'm going with a conservative pick that represents Trump's conservatism and Trump's America and the, the post Bush Republicans. Um, I'm going with someone who's a precursor to Trump someone with a business background who said wild and stupid things that got attention, someone who tried to become president. He was accused by multiple women of sexual harassment and someone who ultimately was undone by COVID. My choice is Herman Cain. Oh, good one. I was going to so, say, you're not narrowing this down at all. But then <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, you 500 <laughs> candidates. <laughs> um, <laughs> From his 999 tax policy to his cane train slogan, he was president and CEO of the other NRA, the National Restaurant Association, and co-chairman of the Black Voices for Trump in the 2020 election. Uh, Herman Cain is a interesting figure because I think he kind of perfectly summarizes the sort of transformation of republicanism and conservatism in the 21st century. And the the move from, I mean, George Bush, George W. Bush was at least sort of legacy and sort of played into this, you know, I guess sort of evolution from his from his father and, and that kind of thing. But by the time we get to the Tea Party conservatives and the what the fuck is going on conservatives of Herman Cain, we really are at that point kind of we've opened the door for Trump to come along and just be a I don't know if a more polished version of Herman Cain or just a better version um, of, of delivering this type of, of movement. Um, but I think Herman Cain is a interesting choice and a correct choice for the whole thing because it allows us to see different types of conservatives than we've seen so far. So someone like William F. Buckley and, and, and Joseph McCartney and Roger Ailes, they are, although they're different, uh, one from one another, they're probably closer in terms of who they are, both um, both politically and just sort of presentation style than someone like Herman Cain, who is much more out there and who's um, really kind of set us up for for Donald Trump. So uh, I've gone with Herman Cain. I don't know if you guys have any have any thoughts on on Mr. Cain. That's a great choice. No, yeah, it's a, it's a fantastic choice. Um, yeah, I think it's really embodied in like how he died. Yes, absolutely. All of all of that around it. That I think like a week before he had tweeted that COVID was a hoax and like mm-hmm. it wasn't it, it wasn't real. It wasn't actually infecting people. And then he died of COVID. After and then his Trump staff rally. at yeah. a tr- Trump rally, and then his staff were tweeting after his death from his account saying that COVID is a hoax yep. and it just really kind of sums up a lot of this 
this Trump ideology and the modern conservatism and all of those things. I think that's a great choice, Simon. Yeah, he's um, he's going to be a very minor figure. He's he's not going to be considered um, someone who we're going to think about sort of as a political giant or anything like that. But as a certain notable minor figure in conservatism, I think he's an indicator and about whether of of, of how things were moving in, in the 21st century. Um, okay, so Herman came with my choice. Uh, Robert Bork was Toby's, and that now sets up for Vaughn and your choice. All right, so I went a different way also from both of you. Um, and I went, I went backwards a bit to that post-war conservatism that actually has an ideology. And I do feel bad about putting him in with conservatives of today and okay. Bork and and um, Kane okay. and McCarthy even, <laughs> but <clears throat> I went with Dwight D. Eisenhower. <gasps> I know, I know. I hear me. I like I hear, hear me out. Hear me out. No, that's just the slogan. That's not. I'm not. I'm not saying. I'm not, I'm not saying that. <laughs> we love Ike. Okay, sorry, on you go, Vaughn. Okay, so he's a Texas slash Kansas boy, right? And he went to West Point just before World War One, which disappointed his mom, who was go, an ardent go 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 go. go <laughs> I was going. Um. Yeah, so he disappointed his mom. So already a point. Um. And then he became the Supreme Commander of the Allied Forces in Western Europe during World War II in 1943. And he served as Chief of Staff to the Democratic President Truman, um, and then as the Supreme Commander of NATO in 1951. And he devoted all of that time to creating a united military organization in Western Europe as a defense against communism. Um, Super interestingly though, and why this was like a difficult pick for me and why I still feel a little bad about it was that both parties wanted Eisenhower when he was running for president. And as early as 1943, people were saying he's the presumptive nominee for whichever party he decides. And he didn't make his decision until he absolutely had to, um, to announce who he was running with for 1952. And he was elected president then with uh, your boy, Big Dick Nixon, um, right at his side. So he, as a president, he was classically conservative with kind of financial views. There was a reduced taxes, balanced budgets, less government regulation across sectors, um, state control over federal responsibilities. And he also allowed controlled rents and wages and prices that were holdover policies from wartime um, and the recovering post-war er economy. He let those expire. He did, though, increase minimum wage to $1 an hour, which I think a lot of conservatives today would also be in favor of going back to. Um, but he did broaden Social Security, and he created the Department of Health, Education, and Welfare, and also NASA. Um, and he was president when Brown B. Board of Education declared racial segregation of public schools unconstitutional in 54. So he was courted by both sides, and he maintained some some liberal New Deal policies, um, all while being a classic classic conservative. 
But the thing that makes him a nominee for me is how quickly he and the Republicans threw Joseph McCarthy under the bus. Because McCarthyism was a mechanism for getting Republicans back in power after FDR. And they whipped up hysteria and fear-mongering and just absolutely scared the fuck out of the country using McCarthy as their kind of wild card. And then once Republicans had the presidency back, they abandoned him so hard and so fast and just allowed him to make an absolute fucking fool of himself at the McCarthy army hearings in 1954. And McCarthyism as like a legitimized, like supported Republican ideology almost vanished overnight. And that's one of the most conservative things I can think of is just completely abandoning one of your own that you had like hyped up for, for so many years. And like, of course, anti-communist sentiments were there forever, um, still are there, but the federal backing of McCarthyism just kind of died out at that point. And he was also, um, all of his foreign affair issues were anti-communism and really set up the the block for Vietnam to happen. Um, which is a big claim, but that's what I'm saying. So I'm I'm nominating Eisenhower. Yeah, no, that's a great choice. Yeah, Thank absolutely. I, I think it, it's it's fascinating to think of him sitting alongside like what we've just added in Herman Cain and <laughs> just think of the contrast. I know. Yeah, because like <laughs> Eisenhower is like Eisenhower is like being president is actually a step down for the job I used to have. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. And like, like, not- like I had nominated McCarthy last time, so I'm putting mm-hmm. the two of them in there together. But I think Eisenhower is like the last really big, I mean, definitely presidential figure of that kind of post-war conservative ideology mm-hmm. where there is so much kind of respect for democracy in the institution i mean he he was chief of staff for a democrat like there was that was that was bipartisanship where it was kind of we don't like each other we don't like each other's ideas or policies or or any of that or ideologies or philosophies on how to do this but it's for the good of the country so we're going to work together whereas now it feels like two kind of like opposing football teams strategizing for 50 years at a time or one team strategizing for 50 years at a time and the other one keeps turning over coaches like it's no one's fucking business <laughs> but like it it feels like there is so there is disjointedness and division in in the government now where they forgot like we're doing this for the people and they're like we're doing this for our investment options you know yeah no yeah and I, eisenhower like he's like you say he straddled both political parties the way he was conservative is he, he preserved new some new deal policies uh he, he preserved the the some parts of the truman doctrine as well you know mm-hmm. the both nixon and and nelson rockefeller actually wanted to increase um military spending more than eisenhower was doing he's very very conservative in a way isn't like preserving things and institutions and he's a very respected guy he's he's quite paternalistic in his relationship to the american people ike is almost seen like as a as a father figure yeah yeah he's a he's a conservative yeah 
but also he's he's one that that you know no one really has i mean he led the the allied force no one really has a, a big problem with with eisenhower really but funny enough though a lot of the conservative movements of the 1950s start up, up started up as a reaction to eisenhower you know like buckley disliked eisenhower's um the john birch society made up conspiracy theories about eisenhower being a communist despite you know his foreign policy being anti-communist um obviously I- ayn rand disliked eisenhower um you know so there was a lot of conservatives who were uncomfortable with eisenhower and because other movements kind of sprang up as reaction to eisenhower but you can see how he was also conservative as well and, and i guess it's the kind of you know i mean it's the kind of conservatism that you know that's away in on January sixth because you know there's no way Eisenhower would have liked those scenes at all. Oh my God, no! Eisenhower would have gotten out there himself to fight mm-hmm. them. Like, yeah, no, that's he's he's definitely old school conservative, like old school, lowercase C even conservative just in how he views the country how he views democracy how he views politics all of those things like yeah i think i'm happy with that choice you guys have validated me because i was on the fence a little bit but no i i think because we're talking about conservative hall of fame it is it's a broad church in the sense that when we were originally talking about this Last time around, you know, that this came around because Rush Limbaugh and the NRA were inducted into the Conservative Hall of Fame, and yeah. you know, it's it's so it's it's very hard for us to put anyone who we think might be even sort of slightly decent in there, and <laughs> there, there are sort of lots of things, you know, there there are absolutely things you can um, go against um, your choice for on, but there is also a clear separation, I think, between someone like. Dwight D. Dwight D. Eisenhower and the conservatives that have come around, sort of the later half of the twentieth century, such as um, Limbaugh, or you know my pick with Herman Cain, who is just you know crazy and without substance. So I think it's a, it's a good choice to have someone in there who at least stood for something and you know was you know heavily involved in a really important time in American history. And you know he was supreme commander of the allied force you know he was you know it doesn't get kind of more um american or sort of presenting what america could be than that so um yeah it's a it's a a great choice yeah and the last thing i want to say is you know nixon would have been like eisenhower in terms if you look at his policies they're very Mm. similar to eisenhower i think eisenhower would have treated vietnam in a quite similar way with with Kissinger, um, Eisenhower, you know, Eisenhower probably could have created the EPA. Eisenhower did engage in some Keynesian stimulus policies during his his, his time as well. And Nixon was, in fact, his his vice president. Is the difference is just personality, I think. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. Well, I mean, there's there is Watergate and stuff like that, but yeah, it's, yeah. yeah. <laughs> there's there's that one little thing where one of them had to resign. I feel like Nixon is like the bridge between like Eisenhower and like like people like Roger Ailes. 
I don't mm-hmm. think like Eisenhower yeah. would let guys like that in a room with him. But like Nixon obviously did and cultivated people like that. But then Nixon had like one foot in the Eisenhower stuff as well, I think. Yeah, I was going to say Eisenhower feels like the the end. The end of what sort of the old school of American presidents were. And then everything after yeah. him was become sort of murky and more divided. And, you know, JFK and his sort of mafia connections and Nixon being a saint, but being told by the press that he wasn't, you know, obviously <laughs> I've been trying to clean up that image ever since. Um, <laughs> okay. Uh, that's a great choice, Vaughn. Well done. Um, so shall we move on to the uh, Liberal Hall of Fame? Yeah. Okay. So uh, how do we want to do this? Who wants to go first in that one? Do we want to go reverse order and Vaughn starts us off? How, how do we want to go? Yeah, let's go reverse order. Okay, so Vaughn, that means you're up. Okay. Um, I went for a boring choice on this one because liberals are boring. Um, But I went with Dr. Madeline Albright for the liberal. Madeline Madeline. Nice. (laughs) Yes. Um, Madeline Albright was the ambassador to the UN under Clinton from 93 to 97 when she was confirmed as Secretary of State under Clinton. Um, she advocated for stronger U.S. president presence in the U.N. and absolutely fucking loved military interventionism. Um, allegedly also loved democracy and human rights, but debatable. Really loved military interventionism, so I don't really know how those things all coincide. Um, but in 1999, she pushed NATO to bomb Yugoslavia in response to Albanian genocide in Kosovo, which ended after 11 weeks of airstrikes and Yugoslavia bending to NATO's terms. Um, so that's a really incredible thing that she she did kind of spearhead and, and campaign for while she was in NATO, or while she was Secretary of State, rather. Um, she also visited Kim Jong-il in North Korea uh, and tried to end their nu- nuclear program. Oh my God, I cannot speak. Um, but she didn't get very far with that then. Uh, she also since w- has been a hardcore Hill Dog fan and supported her bids for presidency in 2008 and 2016. And in 2012, Obama gave her a presidential medal of freedom. So I chose her because she's like the Forrest Gump of modern day liberals. Like she's just been in like all of these little liberal settings in the background of all of the pictures and everything. I mean, UN in the 90s and then Secretary of State under Clinton. She's been campaigning for Hillary. Obama gave her a medal. Like, I don't know. She just seemed like a really perfect fit for the Liberal Hall of Fame. No, absolutely. Um, that, that's like an absolute sort of classic choice. You know, yeah. you, you could just sort of, if you're going to pick certain figures out who, who not only who qualifies, but who like liberals might also pick as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, especially, like, especially like back then, there was a lot of like foreign policy work on like in changing the monetary policy of a lot of like former Eastern European countries to, to be like America. And so you like you had like someone like Madeleine Albright who's, you know, supporting like negative liberties, like 
protecting mm-hmm. against a genocide in some countries, but also like liberalizing by force some countries as well. So yeah, I think yes. I think yeah, she's quiet. She's a good uh, liberal choice, I think. Yeah, the wicked military interventionism, but also loving democracy. It's like yeah. mm, you're a liberal. <laughs> That's Quite, like like girl, girl boss Kissinger, but without all yes. the uh, like Kissinger's like, like kind of <laughs> evil. <laughs> like and she's not girl well, boss Kissinger. You know. God, there's something for you to aspire to, Bob. Um <laughs> That's the goal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah once you leave academia you know who, who knows what's gonna happen <laughs> yeah so so many doors could open for you <laughs> uh, no that that's a great choice and as i said that just sort of absolute sort of bang center center in the middle of what liberals would probably pick um so that yeah i went with the safe choice because that's what liberals do <laughs> and also after last time when you went with nelson rockefeller it's probably nice to uh, be maybe slightly less controversial no. I went with John McCain last time. No, you. I went with John McCain last time. You went with Nelson Rockefeller. No, no. Yes. No. Yes. That can't be true. I definitely went John McCain. I'm gonna go in my notes. No, you went. You went Nelson Rockefeller. You 100. I listened to the show just the other day. You went with Nelson Rockefeller. I went with John McCain. Yeah, and she 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 was mad though. That yeah, I mean, classic Vaughn denying history. I mean. It's 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 just originalism, <laughs> Simon. I, I do wonder why we even let her on this podcast. Time, no, uh, not not to pick on Vaughn, but I I picked John McCain and you picked Rockefeller. Okay, well then I'm really proud of you for picking John McCain, and I bet I said that on that episode because I yeah, was also you... considering John McCain for it. <laughs> it worked out well. Um, also, I just I'm so glad that Vaughn had an alternative history in her head. That's fantastic. Um, <laughs> okay, I, I guess it's my pick then. Um, so as I said, I went with John McCain last time and I thought, right, this time I'll be a bit more, um, straightforward and a bit more, um, sort of center stage as, as far as, um, Democrats and the word liberals concerned. So I decided to pick someone who, as I said, democratic politician, he was actually a former vice president and he kind of represents the democratic party kind of nicely because, a, I think of him mostly as a loser, so therefore that kind of fits nicely in with uh, a liberal choice. Um, he did help some so, some positive things. He did help champion the movement on civil rights under LBJ and Food Stamps Act of 1964. Oh, wow. Uh, and yet was uh, largely for the Vietnam War uh, while vice president, and he was personally opposed to abortion, although he didn't actually actively speak out against it. I think he kind of wanted to keep... keep um, that to one side, but on yeah, this is one of my boys. Uh, he was personally boy. opposed to abortion, and uh, yeah, as I say, he's probably best remembered for losing the 1968 election to Richard Nixon. Oh my god! So uh, my pick is uh, Hubert Humphrey, and um, I also found it kind of funny that I'd pick him <laughs> ahead of uh, LBJ. I thought it was kind of funny to <laughs> quite fu- quite fitting for a, a liberal. What you mean, pick. the guy who had the '64 and '65 Civil Rights Act and all these thought, like yeah, exactly. Bodies. I thought <laughs> I thought it'd be very liberal to pick the guy who was his VP and then lost a few years later. I thought that kind of summed up the liberal side of things. And also, importantly, when I was reading up on him, there was a Salon article that called him the Joe Biden of his time. And I thought, wow, <laughs> there, there you go. What an absolute crystallization. Humphrey was, 
Humphrey was really I uh, I don't know. Like I like him a lot actually because there was a I think during I think I I don't remember specifically. I think it was forty eight, and they had the split with the Dixiecrats, and um and people were wondering whether or not they were going to do a deal to get them back in, but Truman won anyway. But like he had a, a speech, a civil rights speech, um, denouncing Dix, Dixiecrats and, and and things like that. Like he was a real he was a real civil rights campaigner. Certainly his 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 fiscal um politics check out like no that I, I wish he was president i like i like him a lot actually um i'd also like to say that although he, he died in the late 70s he was actually posthumously given uh the congressional gold medal uh by ronald reagan which i mean talk about a liberal dream to be handed a, a literal gold medal by ronald reagan so again just sort of fits in perfectly um yeah he probably would have been very mad that that happened <laughs> but liberals since Reagan would be like, oh, I, I can't imagine how lucky he must feel in heaven. <laughs> oh, Clinton was like, one day. Um, yes, yeah, so that was my choice. Um, Vaughn, I don't know if you have any thoughts on the Joe Biden of his time. Um, no, that's just really fucking funny is, is what it is. I think that's a great choice. Um, I can't get past him. <laughs> saying the Joe Biden of his time because that means that there's substance to Joe Biden to apply to someone else and that's just really uh, funny to me yeah it's like it's like with Biden's not as of this recording he's not dead yet so this is like the the best oh my version. God, Simon. <laughs> this is the, the easiest way to get Joe Biden into the whole thing uh was to to pick the so I picked a precursor to Trump and a precursor to Joe Biden so I'm all about modern representation um, Humphrey is the cock version of Biden because he never was president. Exactly. Even though he probably should have been. <laughs> well, from what I understand, I think mean, he lost. I think he lost by like 150 sort of electoral seats, but um, or votes, but yeah, the percentage. It was like half a million votes behind or something, and, and I think he closed the gap, um, which is very liberal. He was kind of losing quite heavily and then he sort of closed the gap after he basically stopped bombing Vietnam so it's like yeah it's like maybe a maybe do that sooner and maybe b don't just bomb stop bombing countries purely for political reasons maybe I think it was tactical as well because there was he was lobbying Lyndon to stop bombing Mm -hmm. and um, in 68 a lot of people were against Humphrey's uh, like because he was kind of grandfathered in yeah. But also because he was supporting the, the party line on Vietnam. So he, he was, I think yeah. it was like, Lyndon was like, okay, we're going to ease a little bit to give you a little bit of a boost. And then afterwards we'll start bombing again. Yeah. <laughs> so um, yes, there we go. Uh, that's my choice. Um, right. Okay. Well, we've had um, liberals from myself and Vaughn. So Toby, that leaves uh, your choice for the liberal hall of fame. Yeah. So I'm, I'm going super obscure again. Oh, nice. Probably because I've been drowned in, in a lot of Supreme Court stuff. Uh-huh. And uh, I'm, I'm picking a liberal justice called Willem O. Douglas, who was on the on the Roe Ro, uh, versus Wade court. court. He was actually born in 1898 uh, in Maine. Same as Biden. <laughs> He's a contemporary of, uh, <laughs> of, Joe, of Joe Biden. They disagree on, on, on a lot of things, but... Um, William O. Douglas, again, he's kind of a Forrest Gumpish uh, character as well. 
he worked for FDR. Um, he was kind of part of like that sort of brain trust of FDR lawyers. Um, he uh, he was actually almost president, uh, William O. Douglas. So uh, he, you know, he 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 was a he was seen as a great uh, intellectual. He went to Columbia uh, Law School. He he did really well. Uh, he 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 went. He became a professor at Yale, you know, in, the, in that period. Um, and then his uh, Senate confirmation to the Supreme Court was actually very very uh, strong. It was sixty-two to four. Very different to Robert Bork. He replaced the great uh, Louis Brandeis, who was uh, mm-hmm. who was known for you know, on the court to be, especially on economic issues, to be very 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 liberal. And uh, and William Douglas uh, kind of followed followed Brian Dice, but um, actually in the in the 40s when FDR was wavering, uh, many people thought that um, FDR's um, vice presidential, uh, the vice president at the time was not um, a good pick. So they, they pushed him out and uh, they were scrambling to figure out who was going to be who was going to be the, the, the next choice. Uh, William O. Douglas was actually fronted, despite actually being on the you know, Supreme Court at the time, it was fronted um, to actually be the vice presidential pick. And if that had happened, he would have been president. But instead it was um, uh, Harry Truman. But actually earlier in the process, um, Douglas was seen as uh, the presumptive vice presidential nominee. And he did kind of see the Supreme Court as kind of less than um you know politics or you know politics of a different kind but yeah he was as a justice he's probably it it says that he's probably the most liberal uh justice of the 20th century and liberal in a way that i think probably breaks um the kinds of liberals that we're talking about like the liberals that we have on here rb uh rbg john mccain (laughs) <laughs> and, uh, Nelson Rockefeller are kind of like centrists uh, towards mm-hmm. liberals. William O. Douglas is like a, he's like a leftist liberal justice who was very, very like interventionist in his uh, in his thinking. He supported uh, minority rights. Uh, you know the the um, the Roe versus Wade. He supported that. Um, he even supported a guy um, who tried to give the Russians um, codes to nuclear weapons from the United States. He 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 gave him a stay on on execution um, in obviously in Griswold versus Connecticut in 1963. Uh, he found a right to privacy in the penumbra of various positions of the. The Bill of Rights, which is uh, one of the basis for the Roe versus Wade's uh, law, he was he was obviously on the Warren Court, and uh, and Earl Warren obviously, you know, he Earl Warren is the the again a very sort of a liberal Supreme Court justice. But I didn't pick Earl Warren because emotionally and in terms of work, that would have been a lot of work to do. I didn't want to like summarize the career of Earl Warren on, on here because I didn't feel <laughs> capable of doing it given the time that I had 
but uh, yeah, so he was he, he and he, but he was more left wing than than actually uh, uh, Earl Warren was, and uh, on you know he on civil liberties, he, he was very very uh, left wing uh, as well. Uh, he was you know in his private life he was a a, a hiker. Um, he would you know he would go around. He was an environmentalist. He again he was very much against. He supported uh, Diem in Vietnam. But once uh, Diem died, uh, he thought actually that the he actually thought that the U.S. government killed him, and he pushed back against Vietnam very very hard. He was known as one of the leading uh, anti-Vietnam War advocates uh, as well. In the Roe versus Wade case, actually, he disagreed with Justice Blackman, who wanted to put it in the Fourteenth uh, Amendment. Uh, he was actually thinking that in a different part of the constitution, there's an idea that some things that are not within the constitution are rights that you, that people should have. And so he, he felt that the 14th amendment was a kind of a weak and vulnerable place for the Roe for Ro versus Wade. But he, again, he respected, respected the rights of mar marriage, respected the privacy of, of individuals to make, choices about their bodies and their, their bodily autonomy themselves. Um, he, he always um, respected the, and fought for the rights of minorities. The one blemish on his uh, illustrious Supreme Court career was that he did support the internment of, of, of Japanese Americans uh, in 1944. But FDR supported that as well. So it doesn't really matter. I mean, he, Japanese Americans Ooh. are quite important. Uh, so we'll just uh, go past that a little bit and but yeah yeah so he was considered to be a great um civil rights advocate uh so you know considered by the aclu as one of the greatest uh lawyers and legal scholars in america and, and he actually just like fdr he wanted to create a Bill of Rights that was more expansive than the Bill of Rights that actually existed. So he was trying to create more rights. He, he saw the Constitution as a living document. So, yeah, uh, William O. Douglas is a, is a liberal I've picked. You know, the, the first liberal who's actually kind of left wing and kind of an embodiment of, I, I think, what we want liberals to be, you know, I'm just a romantic, uh, very different from Vaughan and, and uh, Simon. You know, I, I I do believe in in you know some good things that liberals have done, and 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 I think there are some examples. Uh, Earl Warren is an example. FDR is an example as well of 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 of, of liberals who who are in that middle point between leftists and liberals. It, it is the left liberal tradition as uh, was thought about in the 1960s. So, yeah, um, uh, Douglas is... And Douglas also, like, was one, one thing is weird about him. Like, he did keep remarrying 20-year-olds when he was very, very old as well. So that was a little bit weird. But, uh, but yeah, apart, apart from that, and apart from the Japanese stuff, I mean, we, we need to put that on the side. Uh, yeah, he was, a, he was a great justice. So. He's my liberal pick. He's your liberal pick. Excellent choice, Toby. Um, fascinating figure to put in there. Um, yeah, he, he, he kind of does seem like an embodiment of almost like if, if if there was a story of 
like the Supreme Court in the 20th century, he'd almost be like the Gregory Peck figure or whatever it is trying to be. Yeah, and he was on the court like through its turn, like its arc. So, Mm -hmm. like by the 1980s, like he hated being on the court because there was like a lot of like Tories were on the court now. And it was, it was, I mean, the Burger Court initially was actually a little bit more liberal than it should have been, given that the Chief Justice was a conservative. But this is a guy who was on the court in the 1940s and then was on the court like just about, you know. Uh, when the the country was becoming more conservative, but here's a justice who who actually supported supported Roe versus Wade. He supported the um, retrenchment of the of capital crime laws. So for a little bit, for like a short period in the 1970s, um, capital punishment was illegal in the United States before the Burger Court brought it back. But yeah, so, it, you know, this is a liberal embodiment um, of, of what liberals should be. Uh, I suppose there's, there are many liberals who probably would disagree with uh, the, the career of, of Douglas, but he's, he's definitely like different from Eisenhower or Nelson Rockefeller or, um, you know, like character, mm-hmm. people like that. He's definitely like a left wing liberal. So. That's my first left-wing liberal in the in the Hall of Fame. Probably War, uh, Warren should be here, but emotionally and in terms, I'm very lazy, so I'm not going <laughs> to do that. I think that's a great pick, and I, I do agree with you on a lot of the leftist stuff and the, some great decisions were made. Not Japanese internment, though. That's really fucked up, and we don't, <laughs> Well, we, well, we don't support that on this in this podcast. Are you no. saying that? Because yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm on the that. fence, and you know, <laughs> no. so if you if you're you know if you say that, maybe, no. okay, we don't support that. We don't we don't support that, but some liberals do. So there you go. He just he he should be in the Hall of Fame there. Um, no, that was a really fucked up time in American history, and like we should like, just saying that's a really significant derivation from some really leftist and progressive policies and and decisions Mm -hmm. um so that's really interesting that that's like one of the main outliers for his decision um his scotus decisions um the other thing is that the u.s definitely killed dm right like that's also the party the the podcast stance right I mean, I, I would never go against uh, what you say, Vaughn, but I'm also not a conspiracy theorist, not like you. So um, it's it's right. I it's mean... not really a conspiracy theory. <laughs> the U.S. like like the CIA like definitely murdered that guy. They like hogtied him and beat the shit out of him and shot him a thousand times in the front and then said and in the back and then said that he killed himself and it was a suicide. <laughs> what? <laughs> he was hogtied. And shot in the back. It just no, like. Let's anyway, not jump to conclu- let's not jump to conclusions. That actually made JFK say in a recording in the Oval Office, he said that he was fundamentally against assassinations, uh, and that the U.S. could not ever carry out any more assassinations. And he was looking at a picture of DM, and then two weeks later, he was shot. So this has to be a reason why Eisenhower is like a conservative 
because although Eisenhower wasn't as like militarily in terms of like hot military, like he, him and the Dallas brothers were like killing everyone they didn't they disagree with like leaders you know of, of countries who were a little bit left wing at all they were just murdering all of them so that's that's a yeah. thing for, for being conservative yeah um well that was a great pick toby thank you for for picking it was one a really good pick. absolutely um right so um we should probably just close up there just very quickly how do we think we all did with our with our picks we're we, we happy with not only our own picks but everyone that got inducted in today's halls of fame yeah i think that no was, no absolutely that was i think i think uh warren probably should be in and maybe when i'm feeling like i could do it i'll do it or maybe someone else will do it but <laughs> well, uh, we can do yeah, another hall of fame next pick. year so. yeah we can do another hall pick. of fame next year and you, you, we who knows who'll be dead within the next 12 months for us to hopefully mcconnell so we can <laughs> oh my god fingers fucking crossed <laughs> <laughs> Yes, because I, th- I, we we I think my obituary is going to be very flattering, you know, in, in a particular way for for him because he's very like, like he works very hard to to do all this evil, and yeah, you know, I think he should be uh, he, there should be some praise and for him. Oh and, yeah, for sure, absolutely praise Mitch McConnell. Hopefully Kissinger too. Oh yeah, but but he, but he so, might he might live out outlive us all, Kissinger. You who knows? I mean, he's going to because he's just pure evil feeds off of children also did you just like sweep in there that that douglas married 20 year olds <laughs> regularly yeah, he, he was very, very charismatic uh, guy so you know uh, he, he... <laughs> is that charisma yeah he's got something insidious so i'm looking at it here on july 15th 1966 he would have been what 68 then um Married Kathleen Heffernan, a twenty-two-year-old student at uh, Maryhurst College. Well, well I mean, like, they were very enamored with him, and, and they were they kept. Um, they, actually, he, he I think he married someone who who wrote her dissertation on him. So again, it's like Ew. <laughs> Ew, I don't like that. I, before before I married my wife, I made her write a dissertation on me, and I'll talk about great. Gross. <laughs> I hope she wrote it. I hope she wrote it on his fucking decision to intern US citizens. No, that that, that didn't get him interfere with their love. I don't think uh... no, no, why would it? No. <laughs> Whole families in the Liberal Hall of Fame. Uh right, we should probably finish up there. Um, like I said, this is um something we can return to next year. Um and God only knows who we'll pick then and who's eligible then. I love um, how but... we find problems with all of our liberal picks. Like you can't <laughs> you can't find a liberal as a clean slated. Well, I mean, because we did talk about this before, and it's it's like, well, if you pick someone too good, then we don't we don't want to classify them as as liberal. Like like Vaughn would probably be very upset if we tried to put Martin Luther King in the Liberal Hall of Fame, for instance. Yes, so. I would. I would be really mad about this. So. Well, actually, we could have a conversation about that. Actually, okay. So you know, I I like to think that um, Hubert Humphrey is, is is sort of representational of the the type of sort of liberal figure who I think of the same with Madeleine Albright. You know, very sort. That's the sort of liberal. Figure, yeah, I, I, I feel of. like Humphrey is like perfect 
because <laughs> like there's so so many things about him that I like, but then there's so many limitations. Yes, to him, both like the in the way he thinks, but also like in his um, bra- like his lack of bravery on certain things. It's like he's yeah, like he's really. I think he's like really. He's a really 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 good pick. Yeah. So summarize then uh, on the conservative side, we had uh, Robert Bork, uh, Dwight D. Eisenhower, and Herman Cain. Uh, and then on the liberal side, we had uh, William O. Douglas, uh, Hubert Humphrey, and uh, Madeleine Albright. So, um, and we also added <laughs> uh, Ronald Reagan into both of them um, because he's that special. Um, right. That's probably enough for us for today. Um, we will have another episode at some point. I'm not quite sure where that's on yet, but we will definitely have another episode for you in the new future. So until then, uh, take care and goodbye. Bye. Bye.